at John chapter 21. John chapter 21, which is the last chapter in the Gospel of John that we've been studying since uh, last summer. In this chapter, we see the remarkable transformation of one ordinary man named Peter. Um, We all have images deep within our hearts about who we want to be, don't we? We all have this image in our minds of who we long to be, and we want to change in that direction of that image. Um, Maybe it's as a J. Crew model. Um, Maybe it's as a successful businessman, an accomplished musician, or a super mom. For me, that image is of Peter and John 21. The image of who I long to be (laughs) is of Peter in John 21, so much so that for my 40th birthday, Jen commissioned uh, an artwork of Peter's face in this scene that we're about to read from the perspective of Jesus looking into Peter's face. It is my favorite passage in the whole Bible. Um, It's a realistic picture. I want to paint that too. It is not a picture of perfection by any stretch. In fact, it's a picture of freedom and joy in the midst of imperfection and brokenness. It is a picture of freedom in life, joy in life that I long for each and every day. And I I think you probably do too. I hope um, it will encourage you this morning as we open up the Gospel of John, chapter 21, and look at this marvelous text. Beckel, will you read it for us? After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciple were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, the boat and you will find some so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish the disciple whom jesus loved therefore said to peter it is the lord when simon peter heard that it was the lord he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they, were, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. 
Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And now the third, this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the word of the Lord. For some of you not familiar with Peter, um, you may not see the transformation um, in this passage because there's nothing to compare it to. I was tempted to include another scene um, from Luke chapter 5, from early on in Jesus' ministry, um, but I think the text was long enough this morning. So um, thank you, Becca, for hanging in there with that very long text. But I did want to summarize what happened in Luke chapter 5. It's a very similar scene to the scene that we see here. Uh, Peter is in a boat. He's fishing. That's what he does. Um, And he has been fishing all night, and he pulls up his nets, and there is nothing in them. And so Jesus, just like here, calls out to Peter and says, throw your nets in on the other side. And he does, and he pulls up the nets, and they they are full of fish, so much so that the nets are about to tear. Um, Peter, this is one of the first time that Peter witnesses Jesus' power and his holiness, his deity, the deity of this man Jesus that he is Uh, following. And his reaction then was very different than the reaction that we get here. His reaction then was to say to Jesus, depart from me. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I am a sinful man. He is ashamed. Peter is full of shame at himself in light of a holy, powerful God. By comparison, he is ashamed. And that's what shame does, doesn't it? It creates a need for distance between us. It's a barrier between us and it's a barrier between God. And it is 
shame is a total killjoy. I would imagine that none of you came here on Easter hoping to talk about shame. It's one of the worst things to talk about because it's such a killjoy, right? None of us likes to face the shame in our lives. Um, and, and so often we experience shame when we start to compare ourselves to other people, right? Peter is always doing this. Peter is always comparing himself to the other disciples. He is saying, you know, I'm the greatest disciple. Or he goes to Jesus and says, all these other guys, they're going to leave you, but not me. I'm your man. He's constantly trying to make a name for himself um, and comparing himself to the other guys. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you spend a lot of your time comparing yourself to the Joneses. Maybe you spend a lot of your time comparing yourself to your neighbors or your friends. And inevitably, if you're like Peter or me, those comparisons often produce shame because there's always someone more competent, more beautiful, more smart, more accomplished, who has a better Facebook feed than you. I'm not a a big basher of social media. Um, I think in many ways it's a remarkable thing that I, I've connected with people throughout my life who I had totally lost contact with, and um, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. But there is seriously a dark side to social media as well. And that is it becomes so quickly a place of comparison, does it not? A place where we can put up this, this image of ourselves that we want everyone to see. I was listening to a podcast the other night of this, um, this Nigerian woman who went to boarding school in Nigeria, then came to the United States, and her friends that went with her there were scattered all over the place, and so she was excited to get on Facebook so that she could remain connected with them. But what she found out over the course of a few years is that that, that actually going on Facebook and connecting with her friends was actually driving her away from the friends because all they were doing was comparing their lives to each other. It was actually creating distance because of shame. Because of shame. Shame creates distance. They create barriers between us and barriers between God. Peter is a fisherman. What does Peter put pride in? Full nets of fish. Maybe you put pride in your full nets of fish too. Well, these two instances here where Peter comes up empty and then it's the carpenter who tells him how to do it. Peter experiences great shame. And and in light of who God is and who he knows Jesus to be, in the face of a holy Jesus, he knows that it's more than just his nets that are empty, right? His heart too, his obedience too. His boasts are empty as well. There's lots of shame in Peter. It would reach its height three days ago when Peter, the number one disciple, would deny even knowing Jesus three different times. If you know that story, as Jesus is being tried, Peter says, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. And then the last time to a little girl, I don't know the man. And we're told that Jesus, after the third one, looks at Peter and he sees him 
And Peter feels enormous shame over his failures. Shame, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But then here in John 21, we see a very different Peter, don't we? Instead of wanting to get away in shame, what does Peter want to do? He can't get to Jesus fast enough. He can't get connected to Jesus fast enough. Fast enough. Instead of wanting to get away in shame, he is desperate to get near in joy. I love Peter's dash through the water here. Don't you? I just love this scene. I love the fact that he sees Jesus on the beach and he ties his, his coat around him and does the big plunge right into the sea. He doesn't even wait. There, the text says they're 100 yards from shore. That's a football field. Peter did not look like an NFL running back, I guarantee you, running through the water. Have you ever run through water? I mean, it's ridiculous. You're paddling. Can't you just picture him gasping for air, smashing his face, getting up again? But he keeps churning and going. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. All he cares about is getting to Jesus on the beach. He's full of joy. He's full full of anticipation. He's full of freedom. I love the scene. I so want to be like Peter in this scene, don't you? Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to not care what other people think? I'm sure the disciples were sitting there saying, Peter, oh my word, Peter, get back in the boat. We'll paddle over. You're making a fool of yourself. But Peter's like, I ain't waiting for y'all. That's Jesus. He's so full of freedom and joy and worship. Do you want that? Do you want that? I do. I guarantee you, brothers and sisters, there was one person in that scene who was looking at what was going on with Peter and he was grinning from ear to ear. You know how that person was? The guy waiting for him on the beach, Jesus. Don't you think? Don't you think Jesus was just like saying, that is the most beautiful, goofy thing I have ever seen in my life. He doesn't care. All he cares is about being with me. It's beautiful, Peter. Who cares how ridiculous you look? Peter is beginning to get to know here in the scene the joy of not needing to compare himself with other people. Now, he doesn't do it perfectly. The reason I included that whole passage is the great comfort that comes in that passage later on, right? Because he's supposed to be getting better. Like us, too, we're supposed to be growing and all that stuff, and yet we always fall back. So much of the time we fall back into our sin. And so so Peter at the end, he's like, okay, everything's happening. And Peter's like, so what about John? Is he going to die? Comparing himself once again. I love that. It's such a comfort to me. Not perfectly, but Peter is beginning to get it. Do you want that? What would life look like if you were free 
huh? If you were free from comparing yourself to others, free from keeping up with the Joneses, free from the, the pressure of measuring up, oh my goodness, free from cultural expectations, free from the expectations of friends, free from all of that pressure from your parents to measure up, measure up, measure up. Wouldn't you love to just be free of that? Jesus in this text tells us how. First, you have to come hungry for him. You have to be fed by him. Uh, A few years ago, I I listened to an interview of a former interrogator in the prison in Iraq that you may be familiar with, known as Abu Ghraib. He came back from Iraq and wrote a book about it. In the interview, um, he confessed that he was feeling extreme shame, extreme guilt over the things that he did there. And he said this, he ended the interview this way. He said, I considered myself a Christian going into the army, but now I'd say that I'm an atheist. When asked why, this is what he said. He said, I thought I was a moral person, but it turns out I'm just a hypocrite like everybody else. Turns out I have a pretty dark heart. Everyone wanted to pin medals on me when I came back, but I don't deserve any medals. Therefore, I'm not a Christian anymore. That's how Peter felt back in Luke chapter 5. He was ashamed of his empty nets, and, and he felt that that made him unacceptable to Jesus. That's how we feel so much of the time that Christianity works. That's how it works in the rest of life. Uh, like the interrogator here, we think that we need to measure up or else we're hypocrites. And so we're constantly trying to justify ourselves by keeping our nets full, right? Showing off our nets of success, our intelligence, our beauty, keeping them on display because down deep we believe that God really doesn't accept us without those things. Down deep we believe that God works like everything else works on the basis of merit. God is someone we have to manipulate, frankly, with morality or by going on a pilgrimage to Mecca or by giving 10% or by going to seminary or by having a consistent morning devotion or by showing up a couple of times a year to church on Christmas and Easter. This is the lie the interrogator believed that moral behavior was the qualification for faith. No wonder he dumped Christianity. Maybe that's why many of you want to dump Christianity too. When his eyes were open to the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of all the church and all the Christians, but about his own shame too, he, he wanted to push it away. But brothers and sisters, that's not Christianity. I cannot say it more clearly. That is not how Christianity works. That is not how God works. Church may or may not be your thing, but if you show up twice a year because you think you're checking some moral box that makes you okay with God, you have a complete misunderstanding of the faith. You have a complete misunderstanding of Jesus. 
And I say that with all due respect because most people do. Mark 10.45 says this. Jesus says this. The Son of Man, talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a payment for you. It's not about giving your full nets to him. It's about letting him fill your nets. Amen? It's about letting him fill your stomachs. It's about letting him feed you on the beach with grace. I visited that beach this uh, last November. It's remarkable. Jesus spent time, it was clear, building a fire while those guys were out there. He spent time baking bread and grilling fish. I'm sure Jesus was a better Boy Scout than me. That would have taken me hours and hours, but he still. He did this work because he wanted to serve those guys. He wanted to feed those guys. He's a better Boy Scout than me, but it's hard. And it was hard standing on that beach for me to imagine being served by Jesus. Maybe it would be for you as well. But that's exactly what Easter is all about, brothers and sisters. You must be served. You must. You must receive grace. You must be fed. Food is my love language. I mentioned that earlier. I like to love my family by going grocery shopping and feeding them nice meals. That's a good thing. I love to serve my family in that way. It's a, it's a palpable thing that I can do to show my appreciation. But you know what happens to me sometimes? You know what happens to me in that love language? I get it all turned around. I think that um, that that takes away from the stuff that I'm ashamed of. So it's really sometimes a form of me measuring up to them, of me measuring up uh, against the deficits of the things that I do as well. I use it as a way to gain their approval. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. That is not how God works. God requires you to be served. And it's hard sometimes for me to be served. Maybe it is for you. In Luke 5, Peter views uh, Jesus fundamentally as a judge, an evaluator. But central to the transform Peter in John 21 is his understanding that while Jesus sees his shameful parts, he has come to forgive. He's come to forgive. It's okay. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. It's okay. And so in that freedom, he runs to Jesus. What specifically, what must we be fed with? Two things and then we're done. First of all, freedom from something. And second of all, freedom to something. First of all, we, he frees us from the shame. Uh, Bill Worrell is an artist up the road here in Mason, Texas. Um, good old boy who 
um, does lots of famous artwork right up the road in the hill country here on the Llano River. Um, I saw a segment with him uh, a few years ago on the Texas Country Reporter. Anybody ever watch the Texas Country Reporter? Bob Phillips. Got to love Bob Phillips right there. Can I get an amen on that, Texas Country? Amen. Okay. Um, if you don't know what it is, it's, it's this guy who travels around and all these little campy stories about things. Well, Bob Worrell is one of his features. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, not, not Hannah's father, uh, Bob Phillips, the other, another one. Um, the, uh, uh, Bill has, is very well-known artist. He's got a gallery in Santa Fe named after him. He's kind of a big deal. But the biggest, the biggest piece of artwork, the most important piece of artwork, he says, is right out his front door. It's this little plot of land in a field that he calls the Garden of Thorns. The Garden of Thorns. In it, there are tombstones that he has placed up for all the thorns in his flesh that he wants to be rid of. There's the tombstone called Hate. It's got a birth date and a death date on there. There's a tombstone called Blame. There's a tombstone called Fear. And the one, though, that Bob picks up on, the biggest one, is the tombstone called Shame. He says, wow, Bob, that's a, that's a pretty serious thing. And this is what Bill Worrell said. He said, there are a lot of crippled people because of shame. They don't think their lives have much value. But somewhere around 1982, and that was the, the death date on the tombstone there, I got out of the shame mode and I received forgiveness. It's not easy to talk about shame. But it is in light of the resurrection because Jesus buried it. Jesus buried it. Whenever we see the, the sign over his head on the crucifixion that, that Pilate put up there to mock Jesus, to actually call out even more of Jesus' shame, the king of the Jews, ha ha, the king of the Jews, right? That's what we're going to ridicule him by. That's what we're going to mock him with, was that he's the king of the Jews. Whenever we read that, we ought to read that with our own signs of shame tacked on there as well. Because brothers and sisters, each one of those things that you come in here with, and you know what they are. Each one of those things is nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. It is buried. And it is done. And that's what Peter needed to be free of. He needed to be free from the shame that dragged him down so much. But he also needs to be free to something as well. And, and that is to the dignity that Jesus gives him. Uh, scholars are unanimous here, and you've probably heard this if you've been around the church, that this threefold thing that drives everybody a little bit crazy, including Peter, this, will you feed my sheep? Yes, I will. Will you feed my sheep? Yes, I will. That is a threefold uh, reinvigorating of, of dignity into Peter who's had the threefold denial. It's reinstating Peter to his role as a disciple and as an apostle of Christ, it is totally giving Peter the dignity. So it's not only that you, he needs to be fed with, 
with the forgiveness that comes with shame, but he also needs to be fed with the dignity that comes with being a follower of Christ. <clears throat> Some of you have heard me tell this illustration before. I just don't know of a better illustration of what Christ does for you than my friend Buck Murphy. Um, years ago, Buck has since gone to be with the Lord, but Buck, uh, I was moving from Newport Beach to St. Louis. This is, gosh, almost 20 years ago now. I was moving from Newport Beach to St. Louis, and I was packing up my apartment. I was grimy and gross and crummy and packing up my little Honda, two-door Honda Accord with everything I owned and was going to drive across the country to St. Louis. And I lived next door in a garage apartment next to Buck. And he, he gave me a call, and he said, Hey, before you leave, come down for dinner one last time. I want to say goodbye to you. I said, okay, I'll try. I'm hot and sweaty and gross, but I got to get on the road, but I'll, I'll swing by. I'll have to be quick. So I come over and come to his front door, and Buck opens the front door dressed in a tuxedo. I don't think. Jesus was wearing a tuxedo. Maybe he was. But that's what he's doing to Peter. He's saying, I honor you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, so much so that I'm going to put you in charge. How many of y'all are bosses? Just, just show of hands. How many of y'all are bosses and never had to hire anybody? All right? A few... Uh, quite a few. Would you hire Peter? Would you? Would you hire Peter after he denied you three times? Is this the kind of resume we're looking for? On this rock I shall build my church. Are you kidding me? On this rock? Yes, sir. On this rock. We talk all the time, brothers and sisters, about how we're supposed to have faith in Christ, right? How we're supposed to drum it up. How we're supposed to, 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 to get it going. How we're supposed to believe and have faith in Christ. But do you understand where that begins? That begins in the incredible faith that he has in you. And me, for he puts us into his mission to take the reality that he rose from the grave and spread that far and wide. What dignity you have, what dignity is restored by the God who feeds Peter. This is the key to Peter's transformation. Freedom from shame and freedom to follow and receive the greatest calling the world has ever known. And the result is joy. A mad dash towards Jesus on the beach over and over again. Happy Easter, y'all. That is yours. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time to gather around your gospel. Feed us, we pray. Help us to break free of the lie that we have to measure up and be something um, great to you, that we have to do great things for you. 
um, and just fill us up and help us to follow. We ask that in the name of Christ, our risen and redeemed Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Let's